Do you do problems? No. Never? I always found them irrelevant. Positions that never come up in actual games. <laughs> Let me show you one I think you might like. That's a clip from a Netflix show called The Queen's Gambit about a woman chess player. And I have an interview coming up in a minute with Terje Simonson, who has written an excellent book about parapsychology. But as you'll hear, we wound up talking about a lot of other things, including chess. Make a connection. I used to play chess with the grandmaster of the Ordo Templar Orientis here in Norway. And he is quite famous because, you know, the Norwegian black metal milieu in the music, they were famous for burning churches. And he was some kind of ideological lodestaff for them, you know, Simon Mitka. And he did not respect me because, you know, I tried to be a good guy. And, and somehow I felt he was despising that because I was not out for power and con. con- during spirits and so but after i beat him seven times in a row in chess he started respecting me (laughs) but we did talk about parapsychology too and Mm. i think there is a strangeness to where parapsychology has gone it's just made itself irrelevant and i think part of the reason it's made itself irrelevant is because it's tried to thread that needle in a way that divorces itself from spirituality. Uh, very interesting. Uh, I, I, I share lots of your, say, uh, general considerations about this. Uh, what I miss in parapsychology uh, is the, say, the existential aspect of it. Welcome to Skeptica, where we explore controversial science and spirituality with leading researchers, thinkers, and their critics. I'm your host, Alex Sikaris, and today we welcome Terje Simonson to Skeptico. Uh, Terje has a new book. Actually, it's a republication of a book, but he's added some stuff. It's a great book, A Short History of Nearly Everything Paranormal, Our Secret Powers, Telepathy, Clairvoyance, and Precognition. This is a book that is uh, getting a lot of attention It won the 2019 Book Award from the Parapsychology Association. It's gotten very nice reviews and accolades from no less than Dean Radin and other folks in the parapsychology community. So it's really quite an accomplishment. And uh, Terje, it's great to have you on Skeptico. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. I'm so glad. I have always admired the, the interviews you have done. So, yeah. We'll see what you think at the end. (laughs) (laughs) We are going to have a a, a good time. You know the Skeptico drill. Um, There's so much to cover. I want to say that this book is is great. Anyone who's interested in parapsychology will enjoy this book, and I think we'll find it important. It fills in a lot of gaps. I mean, I feel like I know this field pretty well, and there was a bunch of stuff I ran across. I I didn't know that, or it filled in a little piece of this or that. So there's a lot to be gained from this book, and it is quite extensive. So I'm really, really excited that you've put it out, and I think a lot of people will want to have it as part of their collection and as a way... I say this sometimes, but, you know, this is a great way to introduce other people to some of the stuff you're always nagging them about. If you're into parapsychology and you're saying Rupert Sheldrick and you're saying Dean Radin and you're saying these other people to put all that stuff into a context 
Um, very, very well done. So congrats on that. Thanks uh, a lot. So that out of the way, I want to jump right into kind of the deep end of the pool. Um, mm -hmm. I, I know that you've you've studied this field a lot. Tell people more about your background. You know, mm -hmm. I pulled up your Wikipedia page and mm -hmm. uh, very interesting. I mean, Norwegian historian, I'm not even sure how that fits into all this, but I don't know what that means. It sounds interesting. And then as I was just kidding you around here, I was mm -hmm. kidding you around about playing chess on the weekends with Magnus. And then you said, yeah, we have played with his trainer. So you must be quite an accomplished chess player as well, which is kind of a little aside, but tell us a little bit about yourself, your background mm -hmm. and how you came to do this. You're also interested in the esoteric stuff in general and Book of Enoch. There's a lot of interesting stuff in your background. Tell us more about it. Well, uh, yeah, my personal interest is, uh, I think every uh, kid is interested in fairy tales. So I, I, uh, uh, I read quite a lot, uh, say Norwegian uh, folk tales and also this uh, Arabian stuff, uh, uh, 1001 Nights, and also Greek myths and uh, Norse mythology and all that. And what you fee, uh, find is uh, part of these traditions, which is, of course, fantasy, uh, uh, is the, lots of uh, magical uh, stuff of, of different kinds. So I, I became interested in that and, and uh, also, um, but of course, uh, at that time it was just, as I say, uh, fairy tales and, and fantasy. Uh, but uh, I uh, later became part of Christian Youth Club and uh, I witnessed some strange phenomena uh, and also people uh, who I trusted told me about strange experiences and I had no, no reason to say disbelief what they told me. And so, and later also I discussed with my family, for instance, my grandfather, he was an uh, engineer and he also told me about having experienced kind of paranormal stuff. So uh, then it somehow uh, <laughs> uh, went from being just fantasy and fairy tales more to, to get into the real life. And I also... Um, met some people later that uh, gave me quite good demonstrations uh, of clairvoyance and, and telepathy. So, so at a point in time, I, I find that I had to study this. And I started, um, because what if you go, in, say, in a Christian connection, they will often say, uh, if such things happen, for instance, a healing, they will say, this healing is from God or it's from Satan. You know, there's no neutral ground there. And I felt that could be a bit strange because if you really help some people getting better, how could that be from Satan, you know? So it didn't quite fit my, my, my say, view of a good uh, explanatory model list. And also I found that many of these traditions, uh, say, phenomena were reported from different traditions all over the world. You could go to shamanic traditions, for instance, and uh, European esoteric tradition, Sufi and mysticism and so, and you would find these phenomena. So this black and white God Satan explanatory model did, did not fit, fit my need here. So uh, I started to study parapsychology and also occultism and magic and all these esoteric traditions. And uh, then I somehow felt I get closer to this. And um, I also um, 
started to study at the uh, Norwegian University of Oslo, and I got as a mentor uh, um, Professor Jan Erik Ebster Hansen. I think he is the greatest Norwegian expert in occultism, and he is. You will find his publication list. It's more than hundred publications, articles, books, and different kind. So I got here as a mentor, and he asked me to write about. Uh, Norwegian very important cultural journal called Janus, uh, which uh, was uh, made by uh, the Anthroposophical Society, uh, you know, with Rudolf Steiner, this Austrian spiritual teacher, and also Steiner was a doctor in philosophy, he was not just kind of clairvoyant and, 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 and mystic, he was really a, a quite clever academic as well. So I somehow uh, from a personal interest in fairy tales and just some, say, spread observation from different traditions, some it became more, say, serious also in a scholarly way then. So he, he guided me to, into this uh, with uh, anthroposophy and also somehow uh, we, we uh, ended up making a book about this uh, in Norwegian connection, very important uh, cultural journal, very many uh, great Norwegian writers uh, have been uh, say searching for a higher meaning uh, you know there has been quite a lot of uh, both atheism and also other reactions towards uh, conservative Christianity of course uh, mostly healthy reactions but people still ask the questions about the meaning of life and many Norwegian intellectuals that did not fit in uh, either the Christian or the atheistic they found their meaning in anthroposophy so and also in Norway uh, this is time school or uh, school or uh, Waldorf school I think it's called internationally is quite strong milieu so very many for instance the former prime minister in Norway and he is now chief of NATO uh, Jens Stoltenberg he has go to, uh, gone to this Waldorf school so it's quite a strong say intellectual spiritual tradition in Norway based on and an troposophy so that become so I also dealt with quite a lot of people in that milieu and they gave me support also and so so uh, uh, as I said, it's a long uh, journey starting out with uh, Norwegian folktales and uh, and strange stories in in uh, the Christian community to 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 a full blown say academic uh, I would not say career but at least. Uh, research and, and some publications. And as you said, I also published about the first book of Enoch, which is a very interesting uh, esoteric text from antiquity that probably had quite a lot of influence on Christianity. But uh, uh, say the bishops did not take it into the canon in the Western canon. It was part of the Ethiopian canon in the this Coptic church. And also I uh, wrote about uh, Martin Buber, very important uh, Jewish philosopher. Uh, and his is, um, as many probably know, uh, he's a philosopher of a dialogue, and uh, he is from this Hasidic tradition, which is uh, uh, Eastern European Jewish mysticism, which uh, say ultimately is based on uh, uh, an interpretation of the Kabbalah. So, so say I have done different kind of. Uh, uh, say, research forays into this esoteric tradition and also publish some writing. I also have been done a bit uh, on um, this uh, more classical uh, hermetic tradition, uh, 
Renaissance occultism, uh, which was part of the very, say, flowering milieu in uh, in Italy in the Quattrocento, the the, the 14th century, a very important part. Um, this Platonic Academy was started by a philosopher Marsilio Ficino uh, under the say uh, auspices of the great banker Cosimo de Medici. Uh, so, so I have liked to see a uh, phenomenon, not just as, oh, that is strange. Oh, that was curious. Oh, so, but I like to see the long lines and the big pictures and all the connections, you know. So that is my, say, academic and scholarly approach. But personally, it has been a very interesting journey, you know, to get to, I have interviewed about, I think, close to a hundred uh, clairvoyant uh, persons from different traditions, people from Jamaica, from uh, say, Canadian uh, traditions, Norwegian, Sami traditions, uh, uh, Native American traditions, Indian traditions, and so on. So this, also this anthropological approach to see uh, both similarities and differences between different kind of spiritual traditions all over the world. So that is also part of uh, I like to somehow go up to the top of the mountain and to see, uh, get a broad view of, of, of see the spiritual landscape, uh, both in a cultural, uh, say, anthropological and also historical, you know, so the, the more overview I can get, the better it is. <laughs> I'm glad you went through all that. I wouldn't have necessarily pulled that from the book which mm -hmm. is going to be something interesting that we're going to want to talk about. I hope we can get back to this very interesting needle threading of the Norse traditions, the magical traditions, the shamanic traditions of the Scandinavian people, and then this polarization in, in your society, European mm. society, Western society yeah. of Christianity on one side and atheism on the other side, because a lot of times the U.S., when we think of the Northern European countries, we think of them as being very atheistic. You know, mm. that's how it comes through to us. And uh, that is certainly very limiting when we want to talk about some of the stuff we're going to talk about today. So maybe the first question I'd have as it relates to parapsychology mm. and this book is, what do you think? I mean, this is kind of a limited view. I started mm. at parapsychology too, because I felt like in a way it's kind of a safe sciencey way to explore some of this stuff, mm. but I also felt it was limiting and I felt it was limiting mm. pretty quickly. And I mm. always remember um, a friend of mine, Steve Volk, who wrote a terrific book called Fringology. Mm. And Steve is a investigative reporter. So he has the kind of sensibility for this. But he, he wrote a great chapter in that book about going to the Parapsychology Association mm. conference, mm. and they're all atheists. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, yes, yes. It's like, what the fuck, guys? Mm. That's it. Mm. At the mm. end of the day, that's what you came up with. Mm. And mm. I think there is a strangeness to where parapsychology has gone. Mm. And what its future is, which is, it, it's just irrelevant. It's just made itself irrelevant. And I think part of the reason it's made itself irrelevant is because it's tried to thread that needle in a way that divorces itself from spirituality. Mm. And 
I, I wonder, I know that's kind of jumping right into the deep end of the pool, but that's where I wanted to go. So that's kind of a big one. What do you think about where parapsychology is heading and the state of it right now today? Uh, very interesting. Yeah, I, I, I share lots of your say uh, general considerations about this. Uh, what I miss in parapsychology uh, is the say the existential aspect of it. Um, so, so uh, I, I totally agree with you. But uh, on the other hand, you have great guys as say Dean Raiden there, and uh, he f do in fact write good articles that are published in uh, respectable journals and so. So with guys like him in in the field i think it will still be saved somehow but uh, as you said it's a limiting uh, approach and and that was also uh, if you say um, uh, go into say the jungian uh, tradition yeah there you ask for the depth of the soul you know and and and, and the bigger picture uh, which is a personal uh, engagement uh, that is much more fruitful approach as i see it and also uh, the say the <laughs> uh, the, 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 the strength of the phenomena that you will experience both in, in uh, uh, say, personal life and also uh, uh, if you do research uh, is much, much, the much stronger phenomena um, when you go deal with those things existentially than when you de deal with it just kind of uh, as a detached observer. Uh, because really, I write about this in the book also, I, if I may, uh, if I compare it to a sexologist, you know, doing erection research on people uh, being sinked down in a pool in ice cold water, you know. And as I said, the, the frame conditions uh, effectively hinders the phenomena in question from arising, so to say. So I'm trying to be a bit funny there. <laughs> <laughs> but it's I, just that, I, I get uh, it. Yeah, I think you get I, it. I get it. And, and I think I get also, I mean, Dean Radin, world class, yes. top notch. And, yes. and also there's a certain, um, you know, baptism by fire that the parapsychologists have gone through that is to be admired. But a lot of those people have kind of stayed outside of quote unquote parapsychology, like Rupert Sheldrick, you know, you talk about him a yeah, lot yeah. in the book. Mm. He, he's, he's never carried that tag, right? I mean, parapsychology, mm. he has kind of a, okay, if you want to throw me in that group, but that's not really who I am. I'm a Cambridge biologist. Um, Dean Radin, mm. it's different because ions came along at a very early point and funded his work, which is fantastic because again, he's a world-class scientist and some of the experiments he's done, the pre-sentiment experiment is mm. pivotal, pivotal mm. to our whole understanding of, uh, of kind of nailing that down from a six Sigma result kind of thing. Uh, yeah. Similarly with his double slit experiment with the photon beam and the meditator. I mean, that is on par with, you know, the original research that those guys did a hundred years yes. ago, you know, yes. of, uh, you know, all that, all that research that was done by uh, Schrodinger and Niels mm. Bohr and all that stuff. I mean, that is of that level. It's an extension of that, but it really moves it forward. But mm. so I, I, I kind of wanted to recover on the, the uh, bashing of parapsychology because the work we both agree is absolutely it, it, essential. It's fundamental to kind of mm. moving forward. And they've done a lot of that work. I would suggest, as you were kind of alluding to a little bit, they've kind of obsoleted themselves a little bit, because mm. once they show that we really can't measure everything, which is 
I think the main finding from parapsychology is that mm. materialism is dead, basically. Mm. Materialistic mm. science is dead. Mm. So it, from there, where do you go next? And then it starts getting very esoteric, if you will. Mm. And I don't know if they have the tools to do that. It's interesting that Dean Radin's latest book is on magic or spirit. So I think he sees the dilemma there and mm. wants to bring the lab to it. But there's mm. another aspect to all this that I really want to touch on, because you mm. don't talk about it in the book, but I think you're, I wonder what you're holding back on this. One of my favorite points in the book, and we could probably spend an hour on this one right here, but <laughs> you, you, you have a point where uh, uh, Werner von Braun uh, turns yes. to uh, Fletcher, who yes. is, it's James Fletcher, I think, who's running NASA. And yes. he says, oh, give him the money, Jim. We all know this stuff is real. Tell us the, 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 the scene there. Fill out the rest mm. of that scene. And then let's talk a little bit about what's going on there. This was the American project uh, normally referred to as Stargate, uh, where the American military and CIA for about 20 years uh, tried to use psychic spice. And this was part of, say, the Cold War. And uh, they heard that the Russians had started uh, many laboratories to, to, to do psychic, uh, say, warfare. And uh, they thought that if uh, the, the Russians have these kind of people on their roster, we, ha we have to have them as well. So uh, there were two, uh, the scene you said is, uh, was a conference uh, where it, uh, Russell Targ, um, uh, who also was a colleague of uh, Hal Pertoff, um, uh, they were trying to get uh, uh, funding for their research uh, at the Stanford uh, in Institute, uh, a research institute uh, very clo closely linked to the Stanford University, and they had been doing already some uh, some uh, research with um, uh, uh, Ingo Swan, a very famous uh, medium, and they wanted to somehow institutionalize their research, and they they asked, as you said, Jim Platt. Who, who was the uh, leader of NASA for money, and uh, Werner von Braun was there and uh, turned to them and said what exactly what you said. So, and uh, then they got the money. <laughs> and they yeah, but, but there's a lot. There's a lot more to this story that we have to fill in, and you told part of it. But who who is Werner von Braun for people who don't know? Oh, I took for granted that uh, he was. Uh, no, uh, Werner von Braun was uh, the rocket guy for Adolf Hitler. Uh, he was running uh, the uh, V two program that sent uh, some beasts of rockets over the Ang English challenge to the channel to, to, to bomb England during the Second World War. And uh, it's a very, I read a biography about him. He was not very bright at school until he understood that mathematics could help him send up rockets then. He, and he started uh, already as a schoolboy making his own small rockets and, you know, and uh, putting fire to some neighbor's houses and uh, everything, you know. So he was really dedicated to his rocket projects and, and a fantastic engineer. He was kind of opportunist. Uh, he was not really a Nazi, but he was not very opposed to Nazi, as long as the Nazi founded his research. Maybe on that, I don't know. I've heard other accounts, you know, I mean, his biography is certainly going to spin it that way. He was brown shirt before he had to be brown shirt and he was SS, you know, so, but he was also project paperclip, which factors in very importantly to this, right? So at the end of the war, we go in yes. and we grab as many scientists as we yes. can and yes. Russia does. 
and and so his buddies, his project paperclip buddies, were in MK Ultra, and and mm. the, the, like that's one of the things that uh, I didn't get from the book, but you know, uh, Stargate, Hal Putoff, and Russell Targ, mm-hmm. their boss is Sidney Gottlieb. They're in MK Ultra. They are mm. in MK Ultra, and mm. MK is from the German mind control, and mm. it's picking up the work of what the Nazis were doing in terms of mind control. And this isn't mm. like fantasy, you know, conspiracy nope. stuff. This is just what happened. Mm. So it's kind of an interesting connection. And I think there's a lot of threads to the MK Ultra stuff that have to be fleshed out in the Stargate stuff. Cause sometimes we talk about mm. Stargate and remote viewing again, in this kind of very parapsychology, nerdy, Mm. you know, oh, they were just doing these cool experiments things. It's like, no, as part of a program to, you know, really, really dig Mm. into what could be done with the mind. And that Mm. whole thing about the the Russian uh, competition, no Mm. doubt, no doubt true, but no doubt also a cover story for what we wanted to do. Because it's not like we were just like, oh, God, we being the U.S., we were just like, mm, oh, gosh, mm, they're doing mm, it. We have to do it. Mm, it mm. was more like, let's get in there and it, do it. It. It, is, it is really very complex. Uh, but my perception, I'm not, uh, say, the really deep expert on this. But if you go to, there were done some kind of rather ugly mind control exp- uh, experiments already in the 50s uh, because this uh, remote viewing program we are talking about Stargate is 60s and 70s and uh, even 80s and 90s uh, but already in the 50s they were very uh, ugly uh, and they really killed people and uh, there were lots of inducing psychosis you know with mind altering drugs and all that it was really evil and uh, evil say bad stuff uh, so um but my impression is of course what do we really know about all motives and so but my perception i say at least of uh, hal pertoff and russell targ is that they are not evil nazis in disguise themselves that is my clear perception i think they are uh, idealist researchers they are scientologists as you probably know uh, so they have some kind of cultish uh, slant to them but uh, at least the impression i have is that uh, that is uh, a not hidden nazis and, and somehow more and also if you go to a guy like ingo swan for instance that helped this program he was an artist and uh, kind of uh, say uh, what is called bon vivant you know hanging out with all the cool people and uh, uh, he will also a gay man so he was kind of you know just celebrating life anyway so i don't know how much say uh, the nazi tentacles went into this program really i i, I will not say speculate too much about that but as i said when i was doing the reading i felt that the really ugly experiments of war uh, happened earlier than these projects stargate that we we are now uh, and that i focus on in in my book i just think we will never know but i do think we do have to kind of deconstruct it a little bit and put the not be so quick to fall into the narrative that they want us to believe that oh all that was shut down Mm. 
well, not really. All the same players are still in place. You know, uh, Sidney Gottlieb is doing his thing. Andre Padreic, uh, do you know uh, Padreic? Yes, I, I do. <laughs> I mean, Padreic is, do you know about the nine? Uh, I don't, I will not say I know that. So you have to help me out on that. So uh, for folks who don't know, the again, the MK Ultra thing is really strange because if you really are honest about following it and following mm. it beyond where they just want to close it down, it mm. did start in the 50s and it did have a broad scope in what it's doing. And one of the things is we're going to jump around here a little bit, but that's okay. Mm. There's a, a researcher in Canada named Grant Cameron, and he's a UFO researcher. Mm -hmm. And he's the first one who really turned me on to this. But if you ever go research a guy named Wilbert Smith, mm -hmm. he was the highest ranking Canadian official in charge of UFOs. Mm -hmm. So, and he was right there to the prime minister going, hey, you know, we have all these reports of stuff yes. in the sky. What are we doing? And then he yes. goes down to the US and he finds out, you know, MJ-12, he meets with mm. all those guys, he comes mm -hmm. back, he writes a memo in the file, which is later released under the Canadian Freedom of Information Act. But mm. the important thing about the memo that Grant Cameron points out is the memo way back in the early 1950s says, okay, they did pick up the thing in Roswell, and mm. they have it. And they're also interested in mental phenomenon that may be associated with it. Mm. And what Grant connects that to, and I think quite valid, and I think it's a quite valid connection, is that all mm. this MK Ultra stuff, part of the agenda was ET is talking to us telepathically, what the hell's going on in mm. that other dimension. Mm. So you mm. have that, you have the Russian thing, because the Russians mm. maybe had those same connections, or maybe have other connections, you know, they have, they mm. have some incredible psychics in, in Russia and are known have done that. Mm. So I think there's this broader perspective that we have to have. And I think MK mm. Ultra is a part of that. And then mm. I think all these universities start popping up, like there's MK Ultra programs at Harvard, you know, later on, mm. Ted Kaczynski, the Unabomber, a lot mm. of people don't know this, but you'll find it, you know, mm. he's in a program uh, there unwittingly, completely mm. like you're saying, the whole LSD thing yes. has links mm. to it. So and then Padreich is such an interesting character because he is channeling these extraterrestrials in the 50s, and they're part of the nine, and they become the driving force for everything he does. And then Uri Geller, who pops mm. up later and is featured yes. prominently in your book, is mm. right there with Padreich saying, yeah, mm. the nine are talking to me and the mm. extraterrestrials extraterrestrials are doing this and doing that. And again, so Uri Geller, so I, I'm, I'm right here, Uri Geller, uh, to tell folks who he is and how he now weave him back into our story of Hal Putoff and Russell Targ. 
Uh, Uri Geller is uh, Israeli. Uh, he was a paratrooper uh, when he was young, but uh, then he, he, was, he was in the military. He was also, also doing stage magic to entertain the Israeli troops. But he was wounded and, uh, well, after, say, service, he, he started doing more professional entertaining. And he became quite famous for his trick of spend, uh, spoon bending, mental spoon bending. And uh, he was really great in the 70s. Uh, touring all the world and um, he also did uh, quite a lot of telepathy uh, people drawing uh, drawing things in uh, say on the in their book and he will somehow try to draw the same uh, while uh, isolated from the, the, this person making the drawing but especially this spoon bending uh, psychokinetic thing uh, bending of the metal with power so that became uh, he became research subject also in the Stargate project for 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 uh, Pertov and and Russell Tog, and I did some uh, experiments with him uh, in, at Stanford uh, Research Institute, uh, which they concluded that he had demonstrated uh, his abilities. Uh, Geller did also um, some experiments uh, with uh, the quite famous physicist, uh, uh, American-English uh, physicist uh, called uh, David Bohm. Uh, and also Bohm, he did not conclude that uh, Geller had demonstrated his abilities, but he was very intrigued by them and uh, said he, in his report that later experiments are uh, scheduled, but uh, these never happened. Uh, and also this guy, Werner von Braun, you said, uh, he attested to that Geller at, uh, uh, <laughs> at a kind of a social occasion had uh, gotten his ring, you know, the marriage ring uh, and uh, just stroking it it had started to curl that was what Bernard Brown said so uh, either Geller is an excellent illusionist or he in fact has uh, these powers so he's a quite an interesting guy and I mailed uh, a bit back and forth with him uh, when I, I write my book very good I'd like to hear more about that uh, he's Mossad right do you do you think he's Mossad uh, to put it that way, I don't think he is Mossad, but I think it would be very strange if Mossad at some point, especially in the 70s and 80s, did not contact him. Of course they did. Right, because that was that's what I always heard that, you know, because you, you just would. I mean, that's the stuff when when people think this stuff is uh, controversial. It's like if that was your job, you know, if your job was intelligence kind of stuff. You'd, you'd, it'd be irresponsible for you not to know if this guy could do what he said he could do, because it's like mm. the most important thing. It's like Stargate. You know, I mean, if you can mm. spy on Russian submarines from sitting in a cubicle in Palo Alto, mm. Mm. Jesus Christ, I better know if you can do that or if you can't do that. But exactly. Padreich is the guy that goes in, quote unquote, I can't say discovers him, but he's the guy who goes and meets him in Israel, mm. interviews him, puts his son, puts him under a deep hypnosis, actually, because Padreich becomes this master in uh, hypnosis that's like few people in the world. I mean, he is a world-class hypnotist that can mm. put people in a trance, puts them in a deep trance. And that's where they start dancing around with this I'm being channeling ET kind of thing. And mm. then he brings him over and he's the one who introduces him to the folks at SRI, Hal Putoff and Russell Targ. And the other thing I want to 
elaborate on a little bit is the experiments that these guys do and how they conduct them. And folks can go actually on YouTube and watch a video that they prepared. So these experiments are quite extraordinary. Describe for folks the experiments that they do. These are parapsychology experiments conducted Mm. in the early 70s by Hal Putoff and Russell Targ. This is before Stargate. This isn't remote viewing per se. This is just testing Mm. to see if Uri Geller can do stuff that he claims mm. to be able to do he- they did quite a lot of things but uh, they did uh, some would say uh, they had uh, objects sealed in small boxes uh, uh this uh, i think it was the boxes was originally uh, where you used to keep a photographic film you know to to shield it for light so you had they had some kind of uh, drawings inside those boxes and uri was to to somehow telepathically or clairvoyantly perceive what was drawn on these and you can as you said you go on youtube you can see where both what they had hidden in these boxes and what we redraw and it's quite uh, resembling quite quite well yes yeah and he he actually there so there's two parts of that right so the first yes. part is you know the setup the experiment again we're going to talk about debunking in a minute and james randy in a minute because i guess super yeah, important yeah. part of this mm. story but mm. Anyone who who would suggest that these scientists and they're really they are world class mm, scientists, mm, mm. Uh, Russell Targ and Hal Putoff are very accomplished. That they couldn't run this experiment is kind of ridiculous. Because mm. what you do is you, Uri's sitting there, you have an assistant go in the other room, mm. and you have these film canisters, and you mm. open up one canister. of the ten, and you put the paper in it, and you bring mm. it back, and you go which yeah. which canister is it in? Well, I mm. mean. That's not an experiment. It's not a difficult experiment to control. You can get pretty good results there. And then, as you said, part two Mm. of that is, okay, first select which canister it in, which Mm. he does consistently way beyond Mm. any kind of uh, statistical Mm. probability. And then secondly, draw it, you Mm. know, and uh, I actually also interviewed, um, Jacques Vallée. Yeah, yeah. I was going to bring him up. Yes, please. Who, who, he he goes and visits SRI and he has lunch with Targ and Putoff and Uri Geller. And Mm -hmm. he says, hey, you know, do do what you did, Jacques Vallée Mm -hmm. does. And he does it right there in front of him. So it's kind of like your Werner Mm -hmm. von Braun story is anyone Mm -hmm. who doesn't think this stuff is is real uh, you know, there's so much evidence of it. It's really kind of overwhelming. Uh, I will. Um, uh, a friend of mine is a film photographer, Tai Tufnes, and he has um, made interviews with both the Dean Raiden, uh, Deepak Chopra, uh, Erwin Laszlo, and all this. He's uh, made an excellent film called The Creative Play of Consciousness. And uh, he uh, was to interview Geller at an occasion, and uh, his little son had brought uh, a teaspoon from the kitchen, from their own kitchen. And uh, Tai told me that um, that when they had, after he had spoken with Geller, he, uh, his son uh, gave Geller this teaspoon, uh, was not prepared, it was from their own kitchen, and he gave it to Geller, and Geller stroked it sometimes and gave it back to him. And then, while he was holding it, the spoon started bending. 
that's a fantastic story. I love that. So, you, you know, we could we could talk for a long, long time and we're going to run out of time if we don't if we're not careful. So that's a great segue to James Randi. And I want to talk about James Randi. And in particular, I think James Randi is clearly, clearly controlled opposition. And I think anyone who doesn't see it as part of the part of the game in some way, uh, mm. I think is missing the point. But uh, you can jump in and, and tell first give the backgrounder about who James Randi is and why we're bringing him up now, because mm. he has a famous encounter with Uri Geller that is still sticks in a lot of people's minds. Man, man, yes, uh, uh, James Randi was uh, he passed away last year um, and uh, he was a Canadian magician. Uh, and he was quite good. Uh, he had these kind of daring stunts uh, hanging uh, upside down in a kind of chain uh, in a, uh, what is called foss, uh, what is called it, like uh, this. Uh, like Houdini, uh, right? Kind of like Yeah, a yeah, yeah. And uh, escape artists, you know, coming out from uh, chains and uh, sealed boxes uh, and uh, that kind of thing. Escape uh, artist and also stage magician. In fact, uh, he was quite famous for that uh, but then he started uh, going into this uh, debunking thing it was, uh, because many magicians of course they claim to have paranormal abilities without having them and uh, randy he knew all the tricks so he started professionally to, to somehow debunk uh, all the claims of the paranormal and it's also important to 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 uh, to mention the say the creation of the international skeptical organization that the CS, uh, uh, CSI uh, uh, the, the study for scientific uh, inquiry um, uh, and and there was this new uh, organization by Paul Kurtz and uh, Isaac Asimov and other guys skeptical guys in the 70s then organized themselves and Randy became part of that organization uh, and uh, he's uh, say uh, the man he loved to hate was Uri Geller. So he challenged Geller on, on several occasions. And uh, I think what you referred to was a kind of uh, uh, public debunking he did on uh, on television uh, on uh, uh, wasn't the Carson show. Uh, yes. yes. And and uh, Carson had uh, cooperated with Randy beforehand somehow to, to make to sabotage Geller's tricks. And uh, Geller became quite nervous and uh, things didn't work uh, out how uh, they were supposed to. Uh, the strange thing was that somehow uh, that uh, made people uh, perceive Geller as a true sensitive because he was <laughs> very frustrated and, and he didn't uh, appear like a steel controlled magician, you know, um, doing his well researched tricks. He appeared as a true sensitive being disturbed. So uh, after that, um, he was much more in demand than before, and he has had the audacity to call uh, Randy. Uh, Geller said, "Randy is my most, uh, my best publicist because he gave him some lots of uh, media coverage." So that is, and their story has been fought, uh, fought both uh, inside and outside the courtroom. And uh, Geller has uh, sued uh, uh, Randy for libel. Uh, is it libel? It's called libel. Yes. Yes, uh, for several million dollars, you know, and uh, that uh, 
resulted in Randy being expelled from his skeptical uh, organization because they didn't want uh, this uh, lawsuit some, uh, to, to hurt their economy and so So it has been on and off and on and off and on and off. And, uh, but as I said, Randy passed away last year. So now it's just uh, yellow left. Oh, man. Yes. We're going to have to we are going to have to have a, a three, three more levels deep on that one. Uh, so one of the things I think is interesting about Randy is um, that he really creates this cult, the James Randy Educational yes. Foundation or something yep. like that, yep. which has just overtly cultish aspects of it. There were these conferences that people went to. They were hugely mm. popular when I started the show. And there'd be these 40-foot banners with the profile of James Randi on there. Mm. And the guy from the beginning is clearly not only uh, uh, fake in a lot of ways, mm. but to me, he's controlled opposition. And here's the evidence for that, that I think has to be introduced as part of it, because I think it also plays into the Uri Geller thing. And are these guys mm -hmm. dancing a dance together in order to portray something? So the thing about Randy is he's kind of a compromised individual. He's kind of a, you know, now with Jeffrey Epstein thing, one thing we is now in the public consciousness is that blackmail has been the go-to tool of intelligence organizations for probably mm. forever, but mm. for certainly in our history. So mm. anyone can go look this up about James Randi in New Jersey in the 1980s. Mm. He's part of an investigation for illicit phone sex with these teenage boys in New Jersey. And then you can even go read his statement James Randi's published statement about what happened. And it's kind of kind of a good insight into just how crazy this guy really was, because he really uh, implicates himself <laughs> in a way that anyone, if, if you just read it, it's just so, mm. uh, it's a farce in terms of how he claims that, he claims that these young boys, which he thought were boys, but really turns out to be a girl, were harassing him with these sex calls and that he went and decided to investigate them and they broke into his house and found pornography, which I mean, the whole thing mm, is just mm. bizarre. And it fits into the other things we've heard James Randi say mm. over the years. His biography was that he was this super genius of a IQ that was tested off the charts and he had a private pass to the library that only, I mean, all this stuff was just mm. kind of anyone would go it and this guy would say, if you heard those stories, you would say, this individual is not emotionally stable. But when mm -hmm. you put it in the context of a Jeffrey Epstein brownstoning operation, you say this is a compromised individual that can be used for different purposes. Mm. And then if you put him in, in context of what he did with Uri Geller, mm. to me, he looks like controlled opposition. He mm. looks like I'm going to control both sides of this. I'm going to control the message that uh, Uri Geller is putting out. I'm going to control the message that... Uh, or that is part of Stargate or is not part of Stargate because we never really wanted that to come out. So I'm going to control both sides mm. of that. And like one of the details of what uh, uh, James Randi does is like he claims that those videos that we just talked about that you can mm. still see on YouTube mm. that mm. were performed by SRI and published. Here's another claim from James Randi. 
He says, look, I talked to the guy who was the videographer that a guy named Pressman. Mm. And he told me they were staged. He told me they were fake. Mm -hmm. And this comes out and this makes things. Mm. They go to Pressman. Somebody finally tracks mm. Pressman down. And he says, that's completely false. Mm. It's completely ridiculous. I never mm. had mm. contact with James mm. Randi. I mm. never made that statement. And I will say right now, categorically, sign an affidavit that there was nothing fake about the videos. The videos were 100% mm. genuine. So mm. there well, are uh, layers to this story. Yes, 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 of course there is. Uh, I will not, uh, of course, claim that uh, Randy was as bad as uh, Epstein, but uh, but that's, that's a very, what you say, murky matter to go into. But what I quote in my book, I could go, uh, because Randy made some claims about uh, a fakery in a psychology lab uh, with a serious uh, scientists and uh, he went out and claimed that uh, he had he, he planted he get two of his assistants working that uh, in that laboratory and they were faking paranormal abilities and uh, Randy want to somehow bait the laboratory into to declaring these people as being genuine perignosts and then he was to expose the whole thing you know but uh, the laboratory did not in fact declare those people to to uh, and they become suspicious towards them and in fact they stopped cooperating with them and then randy suddenly went out and uh, claimed uh, that they have said oh the, the, my assistants are, are real perignosts and so and uh, that was just a media stunt uh, and uh, the, the american department of defense went into that and made a quite a damning report about Randy and concluded that he was merely uh, interested in uh, promoting himself as a showman and not really interested in understanding or say giving a true picture of what really went on in this uh, laboratory so uh, because there are so many interests about this so, but I think that report is quite good and a good starting point if you want to know whether or not Randy is a serious person in this field and I don't think he is, and I, I have never liked Randy, but uh, as I said, the Department of Defense uh, made a quite damning report of him, and I quote that report and uh, give links to it and, uh, in my book, and it's also easy to find on, on the net. So I think people should check out that report because it's held in a very, say, sober at, and, and modest tone. It's not uh, full of conspiracy dit or anti-conspiracy that, you know, it's, it's very just this, 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 and it's very dissecting report as for uh, uh, the credibility of Randy, in my opinion. See, see Terje, here's, here's where we, 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 all that information is terrific information. It's important information. But how are we going to process that? Randy is controlled opposition. He is being directed in one way or another, not always knowingly, sometimes just off doing his thing mm -hmm. to create a picture. I'll go back to the opening quote that we talked about, Werner mm -hmm. von Braun saying, because yes, the, yes. the, the second part of, of <clears throat> what Werner von Braun says is super interesting. I'm going to go back and make sure that I read it. Oh, give him the money, Jim. Here's the clincher. We all know that this stuff is real. Mm -hmm. We all know that this stuff is real. Mm -hmm. I would maintain that these guys always knew that all this stuff is real. Mm -hmm. 
-hmm. So anything that comes out that is quasi-government official, like the mm -hmm. denial of this stuff, which is mm -hmm. still in, in academia, right? Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. Dean Radin is out there, or, or take Rupert Sheldrake, since we haven't talked about yes, it. Yes. Rupert Sheldrake's being harassed by Richard Wiseman. Yes, I know. Why would we assume that Richard Wiseman isn't controlled opposition? If we just take that Werner von Braun quote, we mm. all know that it's true. So mm -hmm. everybody at the highest level knows that this stuff is true. So when we hear this over the top kind of pushback mm. on it, I mm. think we should immediately dig deeper mm. and say, what is the mm. source of that? Should mm. Is that really a genuine kind mm. of opposition mm. or is it mm. controlled opposition? Yeah, I know I'm going into some deep waters. What do you think there? Uh, uh, well, uh, I will just say that I am no expert in these things because, you know, uh, my focus is, uh, I have, of course, read quite a lot about it, but I will uh, not claim any expertise in this uh, because as a, my focus in the book is really the phenomena in itself, uh, the reality of telepathy, the reality of clairvoyance, the reality of precognition. So my focus is uh, the phenomena and how they have manifested in different traditions all over the world, as I said, and also in our own history and the esoteric traditions. So there I have some kind of expertise, but uh, all the, say, the political uh, say um, games around it and all the cover operations and all that in, in modern American history, I, I will not claim any expertise in that. So uh, I have, of course, uh, and I also talked a lot with, with the people that have say quite a good knowledge, but, but I will not claim that role as expert in that field. Uh, uh, so <laughs> I'm afraid of disappointing you there, but, but, uh, well, my no, see, but I is, think, I think yes. they're, I think they're intertwined in a way that can't be, uh, you know, just easily separated. I don't think we can talk about one without talking about another. And maybe this is an opportunity to jump really into the esoteric, right? Because mm. if the finding, if the, the, the primary finding of parapsychology is, as you alluded to at the beginning, without mm. saying this directly, is that we are more. We oh, are yes. more than our five senses. We are, there is this extended realm in which our ancestors have always talked about and yes. every learned person throughout history has talked about. So I could pound on that drum, but I won't pound on it anymore. And that drum is, why the hell would we try and advance an idea that 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 we are biological robots in a meaningless universe? Why would we mm. even why would we even put up with that in kind of an academic setting when it's just really a rather absurd idea? And that mm. gets us back to what I'm saying. The reason mm. is because it's not real. The real insiders never thought that. Mm. Werner von mm. Braun, it's more like what Werner von Braun said. Come on, we all know it's true. We're trying to weaponize mm. it. We're trying to mm. bring mm. it. We're trying to mm. figure out how to mm. do it. Mm. And we're, we're going to prop up academics mm. who want to spin that, you know, oh my mm. gosh, you know. Mm. But mm. what is the deeper relationship mm. that you, because you've investigated this, right? I mean, like you said at the beginning, you have an extensive background in for example, uh, Norse mythology, which yes. is even a, a prejudicial term to even call it mythology, mm. because mm. one of the things we're jumping on and say, well, that reality of that shamanic reality is probably what we should call it. Mm. So where mm. does your investigation of parapsychology, how does that fit into your understanding of this deeper, richer 
extended reality that we are apparently a part of. I have been thinking about this so much, uh, Alex, and I think it's so many questions and so few, few answers. But as I said, what I missed from parapsychology is the existential aspect of that. And uh, so I, it's becoming quite personal what you're asking now, but somehow if you read uh, the biography of uh, Carl Gustav Jung, for instance, uh, he felt that where he had some guidance from the spiritual level, you know, uh, there was this uh, uh, <laughs> kind of a guiding spirit called Philemon. He writes about that. And I think also, it, it, as I said, uh, also, there are so many esoteric, say, traditions that they're much similar in them, but also much, uh, say, different differences also. Uh, so, but what I, in my life to do is try to say find my vibe in a way uh, guidance what is my task what is my uh, vocation for my life really uh, and I try to follow that and that is uh, both a rational thing and, and, and a kind of irrational or transrational thing and uh, uh, for instance, Jumelson also Jacques Vallée, he also has this big spiritual picture and we can uh, excellent interview with uh, uh, Valet in the book of Jeffrey Kripal, uh, Authors of the Impossible. Everybody ought to read that book and uh, that interview with Valet. So uh, Valet is an extremely rational man, but also open to the bigger spiritual picture. And there is also much I, I mailed uh, very shortly with Valet, and I feel also there's lots of things he won't tell you in a way. Uh, but what are those things? Uh, and I am also a novice in many things. I know quite a lot about the phenomena themselves because I have had many experiences with them and so, but the bigger picture is really, as I said, that's a, it's a metaphysical question. Uh, and I don't, I don't know if I'm clever enough to understand all those connections. But as I said, in my existential life, I feel that there is some kind of guiding force that you have the ability to somehow connect to and i try to do to that to the best of my ability uh, and i see some uh, i also been as i say into jewish mysticism and christian mysticism and it seems there are ethical masters in the different traditions and i uh, try to to the best of my little ability to emulate those masters that i admire but as i said there's so much in the political and so much evil also into this and uh, so i as I said, I don't know if I'm clever enough, and I don't know also if it's my task to somehow overview this, but that might be your, your task and with your programs and your study. So, I break that down uh, a little bit differently, because in terms of my uh, personal spiritual journey, I would very much agree with you. I don't think diving into the depths of deception and evil are... Uh, are, are a part of my spiritual journey. As a matter of fact, I think just the opposite. I think mm -hmm. evil gets way too much attention. I think deception gets way too much attention. I think yes. this Luciferian kind of thread that runs throughout this, which mm -hmm. is, you know, starts with the alchemist and runs through the mm -hmm. singularity, strong AI people, and is certainly mm -hmm. all over mm -hmm. the place in terms of Stargate and MK Ultra is a mm -hmm. Luciferian kind of operation in that, mm. you know, knowledge and we can know mm. stuff and we can yeah, do yeah. stuff and control mm. stuff. Yes. And, we, yes. and then even there's mm. a, you know, there's a, 
satanic again in a general sense i'm not a christian mm. so i don't even know what satanic means per se mm. but we understand mm. satanic mm. is i can marshal the spirits i can compel mm. the spirits to work mm. on my behalf mm. and get mm. things that i want so mm. my spiritual path is different make a connection i used to uh, play chess in old times with the grandmaster of the ordo templar orientis here in norway and he is quite famous because you know the norwegian black metal milieu in the music they were famous for burning churches and he was some kind of ide ideological uh, uh, load staff for that them, you know, Simon Mitka, and he did not respect me because, you know, I tried to be a good guy and, and somehow I felt he was despising that because I was not out for power and con conjuring spirits and so, but after I beat him seven times in a row in chess, he started respecting me. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great story. That's a great story. So uh, what, what is, uh, what is your uh, ranking, your level in chess? No, it's not ex so excellent. But I, in in flash uh, flash games, I play uh, a, a bit more than two thousand. I uh, my spike rating was about two thousand and seventy uh, for for flash games. And uh, but I I uh, I was lucky and beat the Belgian youth master uh, uh, once, and he got two thousand four hundred and uh, two thousand four hundred rating, and Magnus got two thousand eight hundred and eighty about. You know, so I'm a, I'm just a upper middle class chess player. I would say very upper middle class. I pay I play every once in a while just against the computer to uh, entertain me or to get past my mind, and that folks is at a level that is ultra high. I mean that is you know mm. one percenter kind of thing, right? I mean that is high. It's one percenter it of all the people who are playing. It's but my grandfather, he uh, he was quite a great chess player. He won uh, two competitions. This was between the wars. Uh, he won two competitions uh, before the world elite in solving uh, chess puzzles because all the players were communicating, you know, with uh, letters that uh, and they sent sent the uh, what he calls uh, solutions for chess problems to a very famous uh, journal in in Germany, Deutsche Schachzeitung, and two times he won before the world elite in that so he was a great chess player i as i said i played when i was a little boy i never beat him so i i know who i am i'm as i said of upper middle class but not more than that so uh you know what is it what is it with uh, with norway is it kind of a rupert sheldrick morph morphic residence there that there's so many good chess players from a tiny you know from a tiny little country really what's the mm -hmm. total population in norway yeah, no, it's uh, about five million. I mean, that's just so small. That's <laughs> yes, it's not very big. I, I think the Norwegian say folk spirit is quite serious. If you do something, you do it deeply. So, and uh, that's a kind of. Uh, uh, yeah, it's not it's not like just boasting of I'm being the world champion on this and that. You 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 are soft spoken, but work very hard and seriously. If you go into something, that's kind of say uh, what is called digged as a kind a kind of Norwegian folk virtue in a way. So speaking of the Norwegian folk part of it, because you touched on it a little bit, and I, I thought that was an awesome connection you made with the. Norwegian, uh, you know, hard metal, satanic uh, kind of rock kind mm -hmm. of thing. And uh, how do you understand 
the the Norse spiritual tradition? What connections have you made with your work and looking more broadly, like you said, you looked mm. at the Hasidic traditions, you've looked at all these yeah, traditions, yeah. interviewed mm. 100 people uh, around the, the world in mm. this cross-cultural shamanism. Mm. How do you relate that back to your own uh, tradition, both positively and negatively? Mm. Uh, a very interesting question that if you read the sagas, you can uh, read about uh, Volver and Seidman. Also, there are people practicing this kind of Seid is kind of magic. Then, uh, if you go to the Icelandic and uh, you know, Norway and Iceland were very close connected culturally at that time, also still, of course, but uh, especially at that time. Uh, so, people doing kind of, and you read, uh, can read quite a lot of the paranormal in, in the sagas, but somehow, uh, it's kind of when Christianity come, uh, came for better or worse, somehow uh, the old tradition were repressed. And it's kind of say a part of Christianity that I'm not very happy with, uh, that somehow you declare everything that is not Christianity to be of Satan. That is uh, what I also told you. Uh, the explanatory model is not very say good in a way no so honest. i think yeah <laughs> yes 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 a uh, reductionist and, and limiting way of looking at so uh, you might of course uh, uh, think that christianity is somehow higher level than the old norse tradition in in some ethical uh, aspects but uh, still it it, it it is norwegian tradition is not uh, satanist uh, at all uh, basically and that is also if you see uh, the newer musicians in this tradition they have taken a very kind of uh, uh, they have uh, thrown out this uh, say more like uh, uh, always dressed in black satanic thing you know and no it's more like uh, the animistic you find the spirits of the trees the spirits and if, if you see a crow perhaps you can communicate with that crow and so that is more the genuine Norse tradition this animistic uh, finding the, 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 the spirit in nature and uh, that is much more akin to my own uh, perception you know uh, and also uh, we, we talked about Rupert Sheldrake uh, the respect for intelligence in animals for instance that they also have the possibility to communicate it telepathically and so so that is a very say nice thing about the Norse tradition the respect for and uh, you know uh, o Odin he had the two uh, two um, ravens uh, the Hugin and Munin on each shoulders you know and uh, my father he was a biologist and he uh, took his uh, doctor, uh, doctor's degree on, on crows. Uh, and that he did, uh, he, he had Manta, this famous uh, French um, biologist and parapsychologist, Rémy Chauvin. So that is an interesting connection also. Um, and and uh, my, my father saw on crows on how they communicated, you know, they, they have some internal communication that's quite uh, fantastic, really. Uh, so if you do something bad to a crow, th that crow will tell it to the other crows, you know, so and how they exactly do that, that is uh, quite enigmatic, but uh, they succeed in communicating. Uh, so that the that, that ex excellent, uh, exciting thing. And uh, I, I feel, as I said, part of Norse tradition is is somehow to be aware of the spirituality of nature. We don't know uh, the consciousness mm. of animals and how far it extends into this extended mm. realm that we're talking about. You know, 
one of the, the, the jumping off points, I think, for parapsychology, as we talked about from the very beginning, you know, the important part of this book, and I really appreciate you allowing us to go to this kind of level three and talk about all these things that aren't directly related to the book, but this is foundational. This book, this short history of everything paranormal, and this deep, deep dive into all these experiments that have been done as part of parapsychology are fundamental. I mean, you can't have this level three conversation we're talking about if you don't know the body of research, if you don't know the basic history. And I think you understand from this conversation that uh, Terje is extremely accomplished in not only that, but he's taking in all these different directions. So support this guy who's done all this research by purchasing the book and by supporting his work. And if you can, I'm going to do it right after the show, write a review of the book on Amazon. Authors really like that and no one ever does it. And I'm certainly going to do it right as soon as we uh, finish up this interview. So with, with that being said, I guess I'll skip over the animal part uh, of consciousness, although I think you've, you've kind of touched on that in an important way. Kind of what I wanted to talk about is I want to go back to this uh, Norse tradition, and I want to pull it in a completely different direction and just pick your mind a little bit. One of the more interesting interviews I've done in a while is, uh, is with a, a near-death experience researcher named Gregory Shushan. And what he did is this kind of cross-cultural analysis of near-death experiences throughout history. Mm. And he found that so many, virtually all the traditions he looked at, their afterlife beliefs were informed by near-death experiences. Mm. So, and these are, you know, mm. uh, accounts are hundreds and hundreds mm. and hundreds of years old. I wonder in your investigation both across across cultures, but particularly in the Norse culture, are there any interesting connections to this traveling to this afterlife space that mm. you've run across that you think are interesting or worth talking about? Mm. Interesting uh, approach. We have, the, the, of course, uh, reports from those phenomena also in Norway. Uh, in fact, the most famous one is, is uh, when the Christianity had appeared from the Middle Ages, uh, from the 13th century. There's a very famous uh, guy who fell asleep and uh, somehow is transported to the other world for about 14 days. And so we also in some Norwegian folktales, we have people passing other to, the other, uh, to the other side and coming back. But I don't know if, um, uh, if say, uh, if the sagas, I'll have to think about that uh, right here, I know, if the sagas tell about these stories in, uh, in uh, of course, you have lots of, of, of say, um, descriptions about what's happened on the other side and so on. But um, as an aside here, I'll mention one of the really interesting things about his research that I think speaks to it is he found a lot of cultures where they would have the, the, the sagas, as you're saying it, or the myths. And then someone in the, in the culture, in the group, would have a near-death experience. You know, they'd get mm. hit on the head or they'd be wounded mm. yeah, yeah. and they would travel and they would come back and they would say, this is how it happened. And mm. they would change their belief system. You know, ah. So the shaman would then come and say, you know what, guys, uh, you know, 
Terje really mm. did it. So, you know, mm. maybe we need to change the thing about mm. the boat mm. sailing mm. into the river with mm. fire and, you know, maybe yeah, yeah, it should. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And right. he found that over and over again. I thought that was extremely Very interesting. interesting. Yes, yes. Yeah. Do you know this field is so enormous? So, and we, uh, I, I cannot go into all, but that's very interesting what you say. That I think that might be also if you read the old Greek myths, the Orphic traditions, uh, for instance, uh, and your Plato, he refers to a very interesting right. uh, the, the history of Er, you know, when he the was uh, placed. Yeah. Uh, yes, 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 yes. And a fantastic story. So, so they are everywhere, but uh, I, I, I have been very, uh, as I said, there's so many, uh, when you go into these traditions, you say so many similarities, but also quite a lot of differences that somehow reflects the culture the, the, where the experience occurs. So it's different, difficult to say what is part of the core shamanism and what is some more arbitrary cultural historical dependent uh, factors in that and might it also be that uh, even the spiritual world develops Rudolf Steiner would tell you that that somehow the angels are uh, it's not only we get information from the angels but even the angels learn from us and our experience so our evolution influences the evolution of the spiritual world so may, maybe the spiritual world is not a say fixed uh, <laughs> field but it's a field developing itself that could be be the case probably is the case you know so but that's so difficult to know yeah mm -hmm. that is quite profound i think so uh Terje, with that wh where do you see your investigation of the paranormal and particularly parapsychology where do you see that going in the future with this book and with other projects you might work on uh, no, you are. Yeah, uh, very interesting. Do you know? I uh, I try to say, as I say, I feel some kind of intuitive guidance for what I do. So I try to. Uh, right now, I'm just uh, out there trying to speak about the book and uh, and the themes in it, and so so that I will do probably for the next uh, two years, I suppose, to to do, get it really out there. And uh, but I could be interested in writing about uh, spirits and uh, angels and that because I'm. Uh, uh, there are quite a lot of reports, people meeting spirits and uh, angels and that aspect. So uh, this is uh, something that is there, but I have read a lot uh, about, but I have not gone deeply enough into it to write a book about it. So that could be the next 500 page book, I think, uh, Spirits and, and, and Angels. As you mentioned right there about this book, which is a re-release, there's a lot of work that's gone into it. Obviously, you've collected so much, and it is over 500 pages. It is extremely well written. Um, Thank you. <laughs> very. It, it just is. It's very easy to to read and absorb, and it's also packed with a lot of information. So again, if this is at all a field that you're interested in, and if you're still here an hour and a half later, you must be interested in it. Check out this book and support this author and his important work. Terje, it's been absolutely fantastic. Thank you for allowing me to go in so many different and hopefully interesting directions. 
thank you, uh, Alex. Uh, I could say also there ha has happened so many strange phenomena when writing this book, you know. And a friend of mine said, you have to write a book about the book because there have been, you know, precognition, there has been telepathy, there have been so strange phenomena covering the whole process. Uh, I have here, in two meters beside me here, I have two audio cassettes from 1989 uh, made by an extremely psychic woman here in Norway. And as far as I can listen what she says, you know, she described what I am experiencing today on those two cassettes from 1989. It's crazy. I would not believe this if I not experienced myself. But the point of that is linear time, you know, it's not that real, all that real. There's aspects of us that transcends the linear time. You know, I can't, I can't quite leave that sit because that would be another direct finding, if you will, scientific finding of this work that you're documenting in the book, right? So one thing that parapsychology kind of nails completely is exactly what you're saying, that we always knew that linear time was an illusion, and now it is, you know. Mm. So Dean Radin's pre-sentiment experiment, again, which he replicates mm. more than just about any experiment in, in, in history and gets a six sigma result, which if you know anything mm. about statistics is over the chart. I know. That experiment is pre-sentiment. It's transcending, and getting outside of space time, isn't it? I mean, Yes, and he also did ex experiment with the, the Nobel uh, Prize winning chemist Kerry Mullis that passed away two years ago. And uh, Kerry Mullis has uh, is, uh, confirmed that uh, he went through this experiment and, and it worked for him. He was able to uh, say it was just a few seconds and uh, he said, I was able to perceive three seconds into the future and that should not be possible. But he is, uh, so he has confirmed uh, this Nobel winning uh, trailblazing chemist has confirmed uh, the validity of uh, Radin's research. And then the final comment we would have to make as an exclamation point on what you just said, because it relates to back to a really interesting point you made about your personal spiritual journey is that we are all engaged in this field, perhaps, that mm. we are both getting from it and giving to it. And yes, I think that speaks to what you've done here with this book in terms of adding to the field, and then the field is coming back and adding to your life, you said quite directly in terms of Thank you. experiences. Thank you. So, Thank you, Alex. I like that. Quite wonderful. Teresh, it's awesome talking to you. Thanks again so much. Thank you for having me. Thanks again to Terje for joining me today on Skeptico. The one question I'd have to tee up from this interview is, what do you think the future of parapsychology is? And the second part of that question is, to what extent does the uh, parapolitical aspect that I keep alluding to, what does that mean for the future of parapsychology? If you think that exists, maybe you think it doesn't. Let me know your thoughts. Not getting a lot of response to these questions. Are you are you interested in these questions? Are these the right questions? Are there other questions to ask? Let me know. More stuff coming up on Skeptico. Stay with me for all of that. Until next time, take care and bye for now. Mm -hmm.